Hello, and welcome to this Solus Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solaschurch.com. So it just, it just never gets old. It never gets old. I was 21, and I can remember it like it was yesterday. I was standing there with my boys, looking down the aisle at the most beautiful thing I have ever seen in all of the world. The woman that I will be married to for 25 years come this May. And there she was with her dad, all in white, just like radiant. We were outside. It was like a, a gathering with all of our favorite friends and people. We had the most amazing party. It was just my favorite event. Like I've, I've seen different children be born. We have, we have, we have kind of like a whole like awesome life of memories. But that is like my favorite, favorite moment. It never gets old man I was so in love we were just so in love we were like enamored with each other well I'm speaking for myself you would have to actually quiz her on that but it it just it just never gets old until it does until it does well let me give you an idea as to kind of how it got old can we can we show that picture that I sent in oh Dang, that's an awesome picture. We look so happy. But that family that God gave us, man, I went from being so in love to being so tired. Like, it's cool. Like, I love my family. Let me, let me give you a brief introduction here of my family. So this is that same bride, and she is even more radiant today. And uh, this is our 15-year-old son, Cole. This is our 5-year-old son, Cade, this is our five-year-old daughter, Cora, and this is our 19-year-old daughter named Caroline. I I wrote down a few things that kind of accelerated it getting getting old. Um, We got jobs. (laughs) That's crazy, right? Like when you're first married, you're just like, jobs, whatever. We just want to hang out and spend time together. But then we got jobs, which was not horribly bad because we were dinks, double income, no kids. So we could just spend money, go to the Keys, do whatever we wanted. That was, that was cool. It hadn't gotten old yet. But then we bought a home. We went from being renters to like doing this, you know, like my dad's like, get a home. So we got a home. And then like, I guess we were more adult ish and we got a dog because that's the next thing I guess you're supposed to do and then we had a kid and then we had another kid and then we got a bigger job at least I did and then and then uh, back to school then we had financial crisis like somewhere in the middle Ooh, that was hard and then we started a church um and then and then we we got these two other kids unexpectedly you know it was kind of like we thought we were done, but God was like, I want you to foster, and then I want you to adopt out of foster care. So we're like, oh, okay. Didn't expect that one coming, but let's do that. Then we've been leading a church. Back to school again. Kid crisis. New job again. And then we just kind of got old. Like 21 and 46 are different. And... We're just tired. Like fatigue is a real thing. 
that kind of erodes the, I- Whoa. the idea that it never gets old. I hope this doesn't do that again. <laughs> Trust it like that. So it never gets old, and then it never gets old until it does. But really, it never gets old because we fight for it. We fight for it. We fight for it to never get old. I have um, even recently been convicted of the need for me to have a constant pursuit of my wife's heart. To win her over and over and over again. Not because she might go somewhere else, but for the very fact that she never will go anywhere else. Because of our commitment and our loyalty to one another. And what does that include? Well, that includes like date nights and text messages and getaways and flowers and gifts and cleaning up. And it's imagine, it's like, it's crazy how far just cleaning up my stuff goes in our house. <laughs> like, wow, you want something from Tiffany's or me just to clean up my junk? Oh, okay, I guess I'll just clean up my junk. I wanted to go to Tiffany's, but that's cool. Um, well-informed questions, touching, kissing, sharing of hopes and hurts. I'm so in love, I'm so tired, and I'm really new at this, figuring out what it looks like to pursue my wife's heart with all these other people in the picture. But what I've come to, or at least I'm kind of trying to come to, if you will, is this sort of sentiment that goes like this, not today. Not today will I let it get old. Can you all say not today? One, two, three. All right, not today. Can somebody say not today? Not today today will I let it get old. Because I know when marriages get old, that's where marriages go to die. They might not end in divorce, but they just live a slow, painful death for everyone involved. So as church... Not today can you let this get old. Because that's where churches go to die. Somebody say, not today. Not today. I'm not sure you believe that. So we're going to keep trying that the whole message. Because we have interactive messages up in Delray, okay? So I'm, I'm going to bring the interaction back to you guys. Somebody say, not today. Because that's where Christians go to die. Not just churches. You see, once it gets old, this whole love affair that you have with the living and resurrected Jesus, once that gets old, then everything else begins to decay and die. Like, you might even be doing the right things. But when you're doing the right things for the wrong reason, not motivated by a passionate, I am deeply in love with Jesus motivation, then that starts to smell like religion, and it's not what the world wants, and it's not what your soul wants. Somebody say, not today. Like, like, like not on my watch, not this day will I let it get old. I'm going to pursue. I'm going to Give the best of myself to my first relationship because I know that everything flows out of that. I think that's what Paul's sentiment was in Philippians 3. Somebody say, not today. 
Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect. Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16. But I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Stop. So, so Paul is, I love Paul because he's very much not arrived, okay? He, he um, you know, he, he calls himself like the worst Christian in, in, in another place. And, and, and in, this, in this passage, he's like, man, it hasn't happened for me yet fully. There's some things I want in Christ. He's talking about like the resurrection. He's talking about like just like all this, this, this stuff that he wants in Jesus. And he's like, I don't have it yet. Like, like, I'm not there. I, I'm, I haven't arrived. It's, I haven't obtained this versus before, or, or I'm, I'm not already perfect. Like, the maturity hasn't fully come. But there's something I do. I press on. And now here's the temptation. The temptation is to look at well, what does pressing on mean? And, and like, let's take a look at, the, at the, you know, the original language and how that's like an athletic metaphor. And it means that, and we, we will. We will. But that's such an easy sort of, I think, miss over where the power of the passage is. Because if you go to, like, I, I, I'm pressing on, and this is what it looks like to press on, and here's three ways for you guys to press on better, then eventually you will slip into it getting old and it becoming about you. This passage is not about you. This passage is a reflection of what has happened to you and an overflow of that first relationship that you have with Jesus and Jesus alone. How do I know that? Well, look at the language here. He does what he does, this is the Apostle Paul, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's the power of this passage. That's the power of living an extraordinary life through Philippians. In this context, I see it as um, like intimate, beautiful language. Like Jesus has made Paul his own. His own. He, he, he's not... Just talking about, like, well, he's been justified, the, the legal thing that happened. If you're familiar with Paul's life, he was, he was a criminal in all sorts of ways. He, he, he pursued Christians and, and tried to kill them. And actually, he wasn't tried as a criminal for that. He was accepted by the, the early Jewish uh, religion for, for doing that. But he was a criminal in God's sight. Like, he, he, he had a sinful heart. And God being holy and just and righteous, well, there would, there's going to be separation. There's going to be punishment for, for his sin, not just the sin of pursuing Christians, but simply just being alive and being born into a sinful nature, the same one that you have and the same one that I had. And so Paul's original status was criminal in the sight of a holy and just God. And the, the penalty for crimes against someone who is holy, just, and righteous is separation for eternity. Like we stand judged in uh, deservance of hell and forever separation from a holy and righteous God, as did Paul. That was his first identity, criminal. But God, in his love for Paul, which is the same love that is available and evident today for us, he went on a rescue mission and he sent Christ in Paul's place. And Christ lived 
a life where there was no criminal activity, thought, or behavior. And that was radically important, number one, because Jesus always loved the Father and did everything from that first relationship. But number two, it allowed Jesus to be Paul's replacement, his substitute, and it allowed him to be your substitute as well. Because with no crime of his own, Christ could then absorb your crime. He could then absorb my sinfulness, my lustfulness, my manipulation, my lie, my... He, he could take it on as his own. And that's exactly what he did on the cross, is he became a criminal in our place with our crimes. And how do we know that? Because on the cross, Jesus is like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see the Father pouring out his wrath on the Son for your sin and for mine. Actually turning his back on the Son because of the sins, the crimes that he had absorbed as his own. Jesus dies in your place, in Paul's place, and in my place. And on the third day, man, after paying for our sins completely, he, he overcomes sin, he overcomes death, and he gives us the opportunity to not only be forgiven, that's justification. We were wrong, now we get to be made right because of what Christ has done for us. But he's also given us the opportunity to be adopted into the family of God. Not just declared righteous, but declared God's own. Like God's proud to be with you and called your father. Intimate, relational thoughts and reality. Paul knew that. And so he writes and says, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live the way that, that I'm gonna live. I'm gonna press on because like, Jesus has made me his own. I now belong to him. I'm like his beloved because of his death and resurrection. That same opportunity is available to us today through the living Christ who offers us the opportunity to be forgiven through faith, turning from our sin and trusting in Christ as Savior, Christ alone. This is the power of the passage, that Paul has been made to belong to Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, so there's, there's something that Paul's doing. There's like um, a repetitive behavior in Paul's life, and he's not getting stuck in the past. He's coming back to the present and pressing on for this call because of this great love affair that he has with Jesus and from Jesus. It's redefining his reality, and it's allowing him to put behind him the things that have already happened so that he can more fully be present for what is to come. And why does he do that? What's the great motivation of that activity? It is his love. It's because it never gets old for Paul, between Paul and Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. So this is kind of like what maturity looks like. Maturity isn't perfection. Maturity isn't performance-based. Maturity is a deep commitment 
to being loved by Jesus and returning that love. That's what maturity looks like. A, a growth in your desperation for the love of Christ, knowing that all things will flow out of that. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. I love that about Paul. He's just like, oh, and if you don't believe me, God's gonna, he's going he's gonna to straighten you out. So just hang in there. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Somebody say, not today. Not today. Not today will I let it grow old. Not today will I forget the place of my first love. You see, if, if we want to have vibrant relationships with Jesus, we have to remember the place of that first love. Because we too might not have four kids in 25 years of walking with Jesus, but, but if we were to look at uh, the marriage analogy, there will be things that come into our life that fight for the place of Jesus. And we will think, well, yeah, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I've, I've come to him in repentance and faith. I've believed the gospel. And now I'm ready for deeper things. Now I'm ready for my calling, for my purpose. I'm ready to press on. But the real pressing on is for you to press in to the person of Jesus, knowing that all good things come from that relationship before anything else. As I mentioned before, uh, I was recently just convicted by the Lord that, that I had become um, more of a uh, helpful roommate to my wife rather than like passionate lover. I mean, we were good. We had good healthy rhythms and everything was good in our marriage. But it wasn't like in Ephesians 5, if you looked at my marriage, you would have you thought like, uh, if you looked at my marriage and you looked at how I was pursuing my wife, you would have thought, well, Jesus, is a, he's a good provider, he's faithful, he's, he's a good listener, um, and he, you know, he comes home and he does what he should. You would not have thought Jesus is like, like head over heels, radically in love with his church, like can't wait to be with his church, both in this moment and in the moments to come. You wouldn't have really probably caught that from my marriage because I had let other things kind of wear me out and, and take the place of, of where my wife should be. Good things like kids and, and ministry and things like that. Well, and I wouldn't have said like formally they, they took the place, but if you looked at my life and you looked at where I was giving the best of my passions, I would say that my wife had lost her place, and that was not on her, but it was on me. And God brought me back to a realization, this is your first love, and out of this love, then everything else flows for your family. The same is true with you and Jesus. There will probably be really good things, especially as you get to year three of your church story, that begin to compete for the place of Jesus. Mission. Uh, ministry opportunities, uh, new people, new ministries, new families. Um, do, do we stay here? Do we go somewhere else? We're all like a ton of like really important and awesome things that will come along the way of your church journey and secretly vie for what is like most 
important. And I'm here just to encourage you guys that, like, that doesn't happen just for today. Like, not today will I forget the place of my first love. Look at verse 12 with me again. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. His own. Um, you know, I was thinking about, well, well how is it uh, that, that we begin to um, keep the place of Christ in our lives? What, what is it like a practical, because what I'm talking about is, you know, hey, I, I think you probably can, can agree in theory, like, yeah, I get it, like, I need to guard my heart because out of the overflow of my heart flows my life. And if Christ is in that first place in my heart, then my life will overflow into some really beautiful things. And so you can get that in your head, um, but, but what does that look like, you know, like practically? Uh, I started the message by giving you some practicalities between my wife and I that, uh, I, you know, that have sort of re-entered our world of ways that I'm um, pursuing her. You see, Paul is in love with Jesus to such this degree because he's being loved by Jesus. And that, that's like his, his driving motivation. So I want to encourage you to slow down before you press on. This passage does call us to press on. I just want to encourage us to slow down. Uh, I've been reading a book here that's been helpful for me in this uh, by a guy uh, uh, by the name of Dane Ortland, and it's called Gentle and Lowly, uh, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And he talks about um, us having a decaffeinated view of Christ's love for us, of, of his mercy for us. Um, can anybody relate to that, where you kind of have like, yeah, I think God like, loves me, but yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure about like, him liking me or wanting to pursue me. Or like, you know, he, he loves me because he has to. He's like bound to legally because of what Christ did. But like, I'm not sure that he would choose to stand and advocate me um, in the midst of all of my recent behavior. Perhaps you carry a pain that will never hear, heal till you're dead. Some of you have been hurt, and it's hard to receive God's love. Perhaps you have difficulty receiving the rich mercy of God in Christ because of what others have done to you, or not because of what others have done to you, but because you have torpedoed your life. Maybe through one big stupid decision, or maybe through 10,000 little ones. You have squandered his mercy, and you know it. To you, I say, do you know what Jesus does with those who squander his mercy? He pours out more mercy. God is rich in mercy. That's the whole point. It means on that day when we stand before him quietly, unhurriedly, we will weep with relief, shocked, at how impoverished a view of his mercy-rich heart we had. You see, Paul, in his maturity, is getting good at being loved by Jesus. That, that has become his motivation for pressing on. And so for us, we must pursue Getting good at being loved by Jesus. What, what, what might that look like? Dallas Willard says, arrange your life 
so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. He says it's, it's like that, that important. Like you need to arrange your day so that you are receiving the love of God. Now, as we think about practically speaking what this, what this looks like, have, having Jesus as in, in the place of my first love, we, we come to something that you might be really familiar with or maybe new to, spiritual disciplines, spiritual rhythms. Now, this isn't a whole message on, on spiritual rhythms. It, it's just a reminder of the importance of those rhythms. And something that I've been um, experiencing in my own walk with Jesus as a 13-year-old, I came to believe the gospel. I came to know my need for Jesus and, and turn my life over to him and believe that what he had done for me was enough. And um, yeah, he, he just made me new and I started walking with him. So I've been walking with him for years and years. And one of the things that I've realized is that I love the word rhythms because it gives it, um, it, gives it the idea that it's not sameness. We can think um, pursuing Jesus and, and uh, pursuing that relationship, which is actually where he shares his love for us, um, is like going to uh, Maine Coffee, um, getting your favorite pour-over, having your Bible and your journal, and spending your time with God. That's a good thing. Uh, I've probably done it on more than one occasion. It's a, it's a, it's a good thing. Not always the poor over, but it's a good thing, reading your Bible and journaling. It's a cornerstone. This is, this is where God speaks to us. It's his love letter. But you know what else has become a good thing for me? Is finding a time in my week to stop and take a walk and just thank the Lord or be with the Lord or try to listen to the Lord or pray for my kids by name with the Lord. You know what else has been a good thing is just to stop and learn to be still for two minutes and call on the name of Jesus once after a deep breath and see what he might want to tell me. Read a little scripture and do it again. You know, it's also been a good thing is simply to listen to worship, not in the car, but in my home where I might be able to really focus on my responsive worship and it not simply be background noise that I replaced with what I used to Listen to. You see, spiritual rhythms doesn't mean doing the same thing every time, all the time. Should you read your Bible regularly? Of course you should. Should you have prayer time regularly? Of course you should. But if I walked into my home every single day and I said, hey, baby, I'm home. Can we hug now? That's just weird. That's just, it's not really relational. That's more like a religious performance thing that I do because I think I'm supposed to do it. But because I know my wife, because I know what excites my wife, because I know her love language, I begin to speak it, and I can speak it in different tones. I've creatively learned to pursue my wife in a way that's really enjoyable for both of us. And so my encouragement to you is to discover rhythms where you get with Jesus and he is able to speak his truth and his love into you in ways that you can hear and you both enjoy. Never let it 
get old. Not today will I forget the place of my first love. Because if it gets old, you know, like that's kind of where the older brother lives. If you're familiar with the, the prodigal son and that parable where Jesus tells that story, you got one son who like goes away and then comes back and gets celebrated by the father. And you have an older son who was doing all the right things for the wrong reasons. And he's like mad at the dad. And the dad's like, you always had me. Like, we could have been hanging out all this time. Why are you bitter? Why are you disappointed? Why, has it, why, why, are, why are you so, like, angry? Well, the older brother let it get old. My daughter, Cora, the four-year-old at the time, I think she was four in, in, when this story happened, she went with my um, 15-year-old to Taco Bell. I'm, let me just preface this story with I'm not saying this is great parenting, okay? But it did happen on our watch. And Taco Bell, um, now I don't know if Taco Bell's part of your regular menu or Taco Bell's something you used to do like back in the day. Whatever it is, okay, Taco Bell you know has got some goodies in there. And you don't, have to, you don't have to amen that right now. You can just inside just be like guilty, yes, I know, I know. That chalupa, the cheesy chalupa's back. So like I know what that's like. Anyways, so my 15-year-old took my at the time 4-year-old daughter uh, to Taco Bell and they wanted to go. But for some reason we couldn't give them a ride so they walked. And it was probably... I'm going to say it was like maybe over a mile. And um, as they were walking um, uh, to Taco Bell, I believe it was, my, my four-year-old, who's not like in Olympic shape, you know, she's, she's four years old. She's probably not used to walking, you know, um, very, very far for, for her food. Her food's usually like given to her. Had a discussion with her legs. True story. Confirmed it again this morning with my son. And the discussion went something like this. Legs, don't quit on me now. <laughs> Why was she pressing on so hard? Why was she encouraging these legs? Don't quit on me now. Not today. Because she loves some crunchy tacos with beef and cheese. She, she loves, I'm telling you, she loves that. And so because she had a greater love that she knew she was pursuing, she was pressing on. She didn't press on in order to get um, just like people to applaud her walking. She didn't press on in order to get stronger legs or because she simply just enjoyed being outside. She pressed on because she had a deep love in her belly that was moving her through difficult circumstances, and it's the same picture that Paul writes. I press on because I have this deep, burning, passionate love for Jesus who has made me his own. He loves me. He's advocating for me right now. He's intercessing for me right now. Now, he would stand beside me and tell the whole world, no matter what my week looked like, no matter where I went, who I did things to, how I thought, Jesus would stand right next to Paul and say, he is mine. I love him. He's beautiful just the way he is, not the preferred, not the preferred future version of Paul. This version of Paul. I'm deeply in love with him. That type of love 
is what motivated Paul to press on, not for it, but from it. Somebody say, not today. Not today will I forget the posture of my first love. Well, so my, my first love does have a posture, not just a place. It's got a, it's got a posture, right? So it's got to be in first place, but it also has a way of, of like um, positioning my life. Look at verse 12 again. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own, well, what does now Paul do? Well, he, there's forgetting, there's straining, and there's pressing. It's like Paul... Paul now assumes a position. So, so he's receiving the love of Jesus. That is his motivating factor. That is what is making him talk to his legs. But he then takes a posture. He understands that he's going to get older, he's going to get tired, and he's going to have to fight for what he knows his heart deeply desires. So what's, what's the posture of someone who, who has Christ in that first place? What, what do they look like? Are, are they calm? Are they chill? You know, are they um, just kind of like, oh man, everything's awesome. You know, this is great. Are they really quiet? Are they big and bold? Like, are they, what, what would you assume the posture is of, of someone who is being radically changed by the love of Christ. I believe it's a relentless pursuit of the present. A relentless pursuit of the present. Paul gives us the posture in the passage, and he says this. It's, um, it's, it, it's got like athletic terms, and it references... Um, the, this uh, straining. Um, and it's, it's a type of straining that is not like when you go for a leisurely walk. The language is um, the type of straining that is uh, requiring all of your muscles to be present and active in the situation. So, you know, it might, it might look a little something like this. Uh, because sometimes... You know, I think we can think about an extraordinary life being one that should maybe come naturally to us. You know, like if, if, we're, if we're engaging in the spiritual rhythms and disciplines and we're pursuing Jesus, well then, um, well th that's kind of where our energy goes and we probably, sh maybe we don't have to like fight for it so hard out here. But what Paul's making clear to us is the Christian life is not a leisurely stroll. It's like a fight for your life type thing. Every muscle, fully engaged. And so um, sometimes we can think about the Christian life being like when you first start jumping rope, okay? Oh, this isn't bad. This feels good. Forgiven, free. Oh, that's awesome. This is really cool, man. I love Jesus. He loves me. Reading my Bible. It's awesome. I started going on walks. Super cool. I'm being quiet now, listening to Jesus. He was telling me how much he loves me, even though I'm a crummy husband. That's so awesome. I did not want to read my, the Bible to my kid last night, but Jesus is like, you're still mine, baby. I love you. That's okay. Lazy dad. I still love you, lazy dad. 
Well, that's cool. I'm in a small group. They love me. I'm starting to get more vulnerable and realize that, like, it's cool. Even when I fail, I'm in a community where it's safe. Nobody shot me. That's cool. As a matter of fact, they met me where I was. Even, oh, I guess I should press on. Even when they found out some things that were going on in my marriage, I guess I should keep going. That probably are not super awesome, especially after 25 years of being married. And knowing what you know about Ephesians 5. I guess I should press on. I'm getting tired though. I'm getting out of breath too. I'm starting to feel a burn in my calves. Probably shouldn't have worn these boots. <laughs> Got it for Christmas though. I think they're really cool. I like them actually a lot. I like my favorite new boots. I'm not sure the bow tie was a good move. That's cool. It's really burning. I feel like knots in my calves. It's kind of boring. I wonder if this example is going too long. Hey. I feel a little warmth in my lungs now, too. Wow. Pressing on really does take full energy. My wrists, toes, my calves, regulate my breathing. Like, I got to be fully present in order to keep this going. But you know what? I love Jesus a ton. And I think this is speaking to some of you, so I'm going to keep going. Don't fail me now, legs. I got two crunchy tacos. All right. I'm done with that one. I wonder when I'm going to start sweating. <laughs> like, we want the Christian life to be the beginning of that. And then when we mess up, or it's not going the way we want, or we start to feel a burn, we're like, nah, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe... Maybe, maybe this isn't for me. There's got to be an easier way out than pressing in and pressing on. But what Paul says here in this passage is that it requires all your muscle, like the full attention of everything that you have in order to press on. That's the posture of the Christian. Not sitting on the stool and just kind of allowing life to happen and thinking like things are going to work out and it's going to be okay and I don't need to participate. No, the posture is one of somebody who is ready to fight for it because of what's going on in their heart. Realizing that when it is burning, you are in a good place with our brother Paul and our older brother Jesus. What does that actually look like? Well, I think it looks like a relentless pursuit of the present. Because I, I don't know about you, but I read stories of like Paul in jail. I've never been to jail for my Christian faith. 
Like I read stories of my heroes in the scripture and I think, well, pressing on. Man, I'm going to be ready to stand and deliver. You know, and like uh, no matter what it costs, we, we start to think of these really big things. And I think that the biggest thing that we can do as followers of Jesus is to relentlessly pursue the present because that's where God is doing his best work. Not when you're stuck in the past and not when you're consumed with the future, but when you are fully present to the spirit of God in this moment. That's when God is speaking, moving, powerfully changing you and those around you. Blackaby writes, you don't need to do something new. You just need to figure out what God is already doing and join him. How else can you join what God is doing unless you're present to him in that particular moment? And what does that take? Forgetting what's behind. Letting it go straining toward what's ahead with all that you are staying present dying to self controlling thought patterns giving yourself over and over and over again to this moment the person in front of you what God is doing here in this scene requires all of your muscle because we are quick to wander and look for our next comfort or convenience. And Jesus is saying, you stay with me. You remain in this posture of this moment and I will do great things. Somebody say, not today. Say it again, not today. Will I forget the posture of my first love because that's where Jesus does his best Work. So listen, congrats on three years. I'm going to call the team up and we're going to get ready to close. But I've got one more kind of encouragement for you. Congrats on three years here at Solus. Um, I think really where the word of the Lord is for you guys today is not that I have already obtained it or have been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So we have a, a saying at the Avenue Church and it goes like this, keep going, he's winning. Real simple, keep going, he's winning. I, I, I know you, you're up and down. I'm not, I'm not so concerned about you. I'm up and down this morning. I was asked, how you feeling? I, I kind of answered like I'm ready. But I'm like not feeling great because I've I'm, I'm got worries and struggle with anxiety and this and that. What will this put? Like, like fear of man, fear of this. Like, like I, I'm up and down, man. I've got like, you, you could consider like almost like a spiritual bipolar at times. Like, man, Jesus has got this. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's Monday. I'm not sure we're going to make it. Like, should I continue here? So I, I can be up and down. So it's not keep going, you're winning. It's keep going, he's winning. He's promised to complete the good work that he started in you, individual and soulless. And I was thinking about what does it look like for you to keep going? He's winning. I've given you some thoughts about how to, you know, pursue Jesus in that first place of your life and never let that get old. And I 
thoughts about the posture, and when it burns, you're in a good space. But what might it look like to keep going he's winning for you in year three? Because sometimes you might think, oh, man, we're going we're gonna to win the city of Boca. We're going beyond. We're planting churches. We're doing all like, and so keep going. He's winning. Man, that means that we're going we're gonna to posture ourselves to do really amazing and awesome things. But I think it looks more something like this. So my little five-year-old started t-ball this year. He's in. He's so into his t-ball, right? His name's Caden. Man, he loves his t-ball. And this is his t-ball bag. Uh, and this is his t-ball bat right here. A little 25. If, you, if you're familiar with baseball, you might remember when you used to swing a 25. So he had a t-ball game Saturday. And, man, he does a great job as a five-year-old. He, he's very, like I said, he's very intense. And uh, he let the coach know uh, because you can only get one base at a time in this t-ball league, and there's no score and things like that, and that's kind of a disappointment to my little guy because he wants to know who won, and he can rip the ball, and, you know, it's kind of like I'm still here at first. Like, what's the point, you know? And so um, he told his coach, this is not how you play real baseball. And she was like, I know. This is t-ball. This is t-ball. So he's five, right? He's doing his thing, and it's pretty awesome. Now my 15-year-old, this is one of his bats. He's a freshman in high school, and he's doing some special things with his baseball. He's a lefty. He's almost 6'1". I mean, to watch him play ball is like, he hits lefty, throws righty, is, is actually beautiful. I, like, I love going to his games. He's just graceful. His potential is, is amazing. And he does some really awesome things on the baseball field. And the question that I just kind of was pondering and thinking about for, for you guys is what's the difference between Cade and Cole? You know, Cade will grow, he'll, he'll get bigger, he'll get stronger, he'll get faster, all those sort of things. But really, what's, like, what's the biggest difference? I'm going to ask you, would you mind coming up? Just like, yeah, would you mind? Yeah. Surprise! You can just stand right there. You're going to catch this? You are! By faith, he's going to catch it. You ready? I'm just going to toss it like that. Look at that. Boom. Now go ahead and put that on the ground because you're going to do that again. You just keep doing that. Because Solar Search, this is the biggest difference between Cade and Cole right now. Cole has spent hour after hour after hour in a batting cage with myself or another coach tossing him one ball after the next. Him working on his swing when nobody was watching, nobody cared, no winner, no applause. He just kept going over and over again. So Solus Hear me on this one. Keep setting up. Keep setting up chairs. Keep setting up sound. Keep setting up those kids' rooms. Keep tearing them down. I see you. After everyone's left and eating lunch, sweating it out, loading a truck, doing it again. Over and 
over and over again. Keep hosting small group. Keep making dinner. Keep dreaming at those meetings about what you think God's doing here. Keep volunteering with the kids. Keep showing up as though this Sunday was the most important Sunday in that little five-year-old's life. Keep inviting. Keep reading your Bible. Keep getting quiet before Jesus. Keep worshiping. And before you know it, thank you. Before you know it, you'll be doing Christie's wedding. Christy, who came to our church on Christmas Eve years ago because she heard the music and we were outside, homeless, pregnant with her first child already born, got involved in a nonprofit that the Lord helped us to start called the City House, went through that program after two years, stayed sober, got a job, bought a house, has met a beautiful young man in our church named Drew. And in like three weeks, I'm going to stand before him. And I'm going to remember that there's a reason we keep going. Because eventually, both in small and big ways, God will show up and he will do beautiful, beautiful things. And never let it get old. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com.